I've just um, realised what slip to digit means. Hello and welcome to a special lockdown episode of Grape Culture, the podcast where three women drink wine remotely, talk about pop culture and what is going on in the world. Oh, and also some feminism. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the book Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams. This is a book that was quite popular when it first came out, won a bunch of awards, so I'm excited to talk about it today. But before we get on to that, wine, what we got? What are we saying? I'll go first then. So I have got the Tangled Knot Zinfandel from, uh, you guessed it, Marks and Spencers, and it <laughs> is made by none other than Sue Daniels. Woo! Oh, Sue. She's back. She's bad. <laughs> Return she of bad. Sue. She's normally pretty good, but I'm hoping that Sue Daniels is going to see me right this week. So <laughs> this is a full-bodied red. It's not suitable for vegans. It is rich, bold, smooth, and ripe. Um, taste of black currants, blackberries, and vanilla spice, and perfectly paired with barbecued beef, Asian dishes, and tomato pasta. Uh, Zinfandel vines are hardy, producing grapes for many years, their barks resembling tangled knots. They ripen unevenly, with green and purple grapes plus raisins on the same bunch, causing the wines to display a myriad of flavours from plums to chocolate. This example, made by the Delicate family winery, uses fruit mainly from the Sacramento Delta, enhanced by a touch of oak, best enjoyed within two years of purchase. Um, the reason I chose it was actually, as soon as I saw the label, I kind of thought, that it, it just made me think that it matched with the book. Um, it's got this, it's got a picture of the sort of gnarly tangled vine that is a Zinfandel vine. And it made me think of the kind of twisty tangle, not the Queenie kind of gets herself into in the book that we're, we're going to discuss. And then when I read the description as well, I thought about, you know, that the description about the variation and, and, and all the different ways that, that things can happen from the same sort of bunch. And it made me think of the family element that's in this book. And yeah, it just felt like a good match to the kind of twisty, turny personal aspects of this book. So that is my choice. I'm hoping there's going to be really good red because uh, it's about time. I fucking need this. What about you guys? So I went for a kind of similar vibe to you, not in terms of it being a full-bodied Sudaniel's red, but I had the thoughts of kind of something relating to kind of roots and growth and new beginnings. So I wanted to look for something that links to that in some way. So I've gone for the Y series, Viognier, South Australia, from the family winemakers of Yalumba. I think it's called. And it says the Y series Viognier has lovely aromas of orange blossom and honeysuckle with fresh pineapple and dried figs on the palate um, and a silky textural finish. The Y series represents a collection of iconic classics and exciting new variations, each authentically crafted with fruit from South Australia's most celebrated wine regions. Vine cuttings are the beginnings of a new vineyard planted after careful sorting. Um, and then it's got a picture of kind of roots with trees, like vineyard trees. And I just kind of felt that linked, like you were saying, Kim, and yeah, all to do with roots and growth. growth and, and the family aspect and the everything. Yeah, yeah. the fact What's that, you know, head? obviously her family are from Jamaica and then she isn't growing up in Brixton and likes to see kind of aspects of her her family life in the surroundings and that, you know, soon gentrification yeah. takes over. Yeah. What about you, Sam? What have you got? I have to apologise. I have not really prepared for this because I've just started a new job and my brain is 
fairly fucking fried. So instead, I have gone with the wine that is from the very exclusive collection in my kitchen. And um, <laughs> so it's not actually linked to the book at all. I've done a big fail. I'm very sorry. But the wine is the Palastro Primitivo from Puglia, uh, 2019 red business it had a cork so you know it's good that's how it works right it has it has a cork and a deep bottom for thumbing so the tasting notes on mine say um an exquisite masterpiece from the finest primitivo grapes grown in our thriving area of puglia this elegant and full-bodied wine elegant and full-bodied they need to come up with some more synonyms for wine man (laughs) elegant and full-bodied wine is produced from one of the finest and oldest indigenous grape varieties native to the region it boasts a rich well-balanced and spicy character the finish is long smooth and well-rounded sounds all right let's give it a go right cheers guys cheers that's not happy face, Sam. Yeah, come back to me. I only took the small. I, look, I looked a little bit like someone slipped a digit. That was not a happy face at all. Someone thumbed my bottom. <laughs> I've just um, realised what slipped a digit means. <laughs> oh my god, is that what it means? Is that actually what it means? The more you know. <laughs> um, it's very. It's just very, very dark rich wine you know when it kind of i think it's a good thing but at the moment i'm like oh very blackberry very i can feel the heartburn starting like at the back of my tongue and going all the way down one of them mine's very creamy and i am not a fan of a creamy wine (laughs) i mean i'm not a massive fan of beyond years anyway and this i like a viog do you? I'm just like I find I do find them a little bit too floral and creamy. What about yours, Kim? Tangled knot, Zinfandel. Yeah, it's when I first sniffed it, I thought, oh god, like it. I thought it was going to be a really um, like oaky, you know, because it says in the description it has a touch of oak, but it it that's really heavy on the nose at first. But actually, after the first sip, it's it's really quite smooth. It's really quite nice. So far, it's a little bit wine. But like basic bitchy wine, but um, it's it's given me a good buzz so far. Good. So kind of a, I think it's going to be a suck it and see kind of job with this wine journey <laughs> that we're on tonight. Um, should we talk about the book? Yeah, yeah and then let's, let's talk about it. So Queenie Candice Carty Williams, published in two thousand and nineteen, uh, long listed for the Women's Prize for Fiction, and it's got many many uh, award nominations, which it talks about at length inside the flyleaf. I don't know if anyone else has got that in their copy. Basically, very well received book. Why are we talking about it now? We wanted to, and also we were trying to talk about something that we felt was. One of the things we talked about when we were talking about like the the stories that we want to tell of of marginalized people is is everyday stories, not just like um something sensational or something activismy like we wanted to, we wanted to include everything um so we want to talk about buzzy books we often talk about them by the time they come out in paperback, which this recently has come out in paperback. We wanted to read something that felt real. Um, we didn't, you know, we'd we'd come off the of um, Gideon the Ninth was the last book that we read, which was obviously very not real, um, and that was really really fun. But we kind of wanted to talk about something a little bit more real life, and we felt that it was important to choose something that we maybe not or wouldn't have ordinarily picked up because none of us are particularly 
I would I would classify this as literary fiction and 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 I don't think that we all read that for fun all the time so we yeah and I think you know we made a dedication to read more um and view more from uh filmmakers writers authors uh playwrights um that uh are from minority groups and so we um, and we'd heard so much about this as well like Sam said on literally on the cover it's got the longest list of awards um, which is so commendable I think also you know we're at a time where everyone is like there's a lot of shit going on and everyone's questioning their identity because they've had so much time to look at themselves so um you know it's just yeah. quite poignant it reinf- yeah it's poignant but it reinforces all of our thoughts and feelings and everything and i and i reckon all of us probably read something in this book that we went yeah i recognize yeah. that in myself yes so thanks alex for bringing it to the top of our radar <laughs> yeah so then we should also then say that there will be spoilers for anyone who hasn't read it so prepare yourselves so what did we think of it initially what were our first you know gut reactions to the book uh so straight away we're straight in with the legs in the stirrups (laughs) (laughs) yeah which was unexpected and I enjoyed I will say that I'm not a massive fan of the kind of text uh little pop-ups you know you get them a lot in um uh, things that are trying to be youth-led and everything. Um, so you mean storytelling devices done through like messages? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you see it in you see it in TV shows quite a lot, where you know, like the message will pop up, or you see it in theatre where it's projected, or someone runs on with like a cardboard speech bubble or <laughs> not speech bubble thought thought bubble. What are they called? Depends on if they're thinking or speaking. Spe- thought, speech thought. Oh yeah, because it wouldn't be thought. Because you're speaking. Oh, guys. Anyway, I'm not a massive fan of that because I kind of feel like it's trying to be... Down with the kids. Yeah. And it just doesn't sit right with me. But I forgave that. Um, and actually, I looked forward to those moments throughout the book, actually. Yeah. Um, I am... Um, sorry to interject, but I actually... I turned to my partner and said when he was asking me sort of about what I was reading and I said, you know, most books that I read that do this, that do text or email or whatever, it's so cringe, but I was really impressed with Queenie with how much it just did not bother me and how accurate, like it really felt like a group chat. So yeah. So my automatic reaction when I saw the text speak was, Oh, one of those. Okay. But yeah, like I said, I actually looked forward to those moments because it did feel like an authentic conversation that you would have your have with your mates over WhatsApp. Particularly enjoyed that it was called the Corgis, um, <laughs> for the kind of Queen reference. So, um, and also enjoyed the moments of like just how different they were. And um, and you know, I don't know about you guys, but I've been lumped into uh, WhatsApp groups with people that I kind of like I don't really know because you've got that one friend that connects you and you're not really sure whether a joke is going to land or whatever that is because over messenger it's just so hard to generate tone but as a whole yeah my impressions of it it was I think like I said we did recognize moments um, of ourselves in this book and maybe that was a little bit too close to the nose especially in a time where we're all kind of suffering from mental health a little bit more but I also think it was quite quite cathartic 
I think there were moments of real laugh out loud, humorous banter. Some of the characters, especially some of the male characters, were just so hideous that I just, I really hope that these people were not, these characters were not based on real people, but I've got a feeling they might be. But yeah, overall, really enjoyed it. Sam, what about you? How did you feel? I felt that I really liked it. End of my story. No, it was... Five grades, uh, done. End. (laughs) (laughs) And come back next week for a new episode (laughs) of Grape Culture. Things Sam likes. (laughs) It will be very short. Whiskey dogs the end so the book so yeah I, like you, you use the word literary fiction kim it is that i mean it's the way i thought about it was like it's chick lit with a brain and with a social message it's like it was kind of there were elements of that bridget jones young girl works in publishing uh sends inappropriate emails to someone she works with and then has all her her group of friends who all fit certain character tropes around her like there was that but then there's also like the commentary on the fetishization of black women and also the like you're saying Alex the gentrification of Brixton and areas of London that have typically been lived in by lower economic people of lower economic status and particularly uh, migrants so it was kind of a blend of things for me um, and it was a welcome relief because I haven't read anything like this for a while. I haven't read any modern day female stories for actually quite a long time. So I'm glad we chose this now. Yeah. What do you think, Kimber? Reclining in your chair. Reclining in my chair. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I struggled at first because of my own sensibilities around sex that we've, you know, that we've discussed on this podcast before, even though, you know, I made a slipping a digit joke earlier uh yeah so I I struggled with that like reading it but that doesn't necessarily put me off the book as a whole it just it it changes it changes the the length of time that I can read something it was the the way that I felt about it was like I was like oh stop doing that like stop it like it's not good for you stop it and that's kind of the point of the like it's, it's part of the way that you're supposed to be feeling so as soon as I kind of made my peace with the fact that you weren't supposed to be feeling good about it I, and not in a like judgmental, no one should be having sex way, but in a like, there is something else. Yeah, there is something else going on here. This is not something that this person, this character wants. And that is the point of this story. Like as soon as that like became clear to me, it it was a lot easier for me to, um, to connect with. And that was, that was part of the problem for me. And that's, that's a very personal, like my feeling, but, um, I really did, you know, I got immediately drawn into it and w- really, really enjoyed reading it. And for all the reasons that you guys said, like, there was a lot there that uh, that made me think. Um, I had heard some of the feedback that I'd heard around it. You know, some people hadn't particularly enjoyed it in my office and some people had. And I was a little bit worried that I was going to be of the, you know, oh, I don't really enjoy this. But no, I really, really did. And it's really, really stayed with me. And it's it's one of those books, that one of those classic books where um, I think about it whilst I'm reading it as if it's someone that I know. And it really, really made me think. Like, I, it made me question a lot about um, some, some actions that I've taken in the past, especially around Brixton and um, gentrification. And 
Um, and that... Walking into Caribbean restaurants demanding a scone. <laughs> it did really make me re-examine that. And for, for that reason, among many other reasons, I really, really enjoyed this book. So for anyone who hasn't read the book, uh, a brief summary is that there is this uh, person called Queenie who is in her, I think she's 26. I can't remember mm-hmm. her exact age. Um, who is in the middle of a breakup with her boyfriend, Tom. Is Tom, isn't it? Yes. On his name. Yeah, Tom. Um, so they're in the middle of a breakup, um, although it's called cool that she talks about it as taking a break, but it's clearly a breakup as established later in the book. Um, and her reaction to that is to kind of go slightly to act differently than she normally would. Um, she has sex with a lot of um, anonymous people and she like it's kind of about her a little bit about her patterns of self-destruction, but it's also about, um, like you said, it's about her uh, her family who are um, of uh, Jamaican descent. I think her grandparents uh, um, uh, emigrated to the UK from Jamaica mm-hmm. um, and her relationships with her friends, um, one of whom is, um, she's, her parents are African, one of whom is Jewish, one of whom is white, I think is the, is the mix of her three friends, isn't it? Mm-hmm um and kind of have different relationships with those people and their different attitudes to um queenie's experience as a black woman um and also the attitudes of the men around her. specifically this book is about the attitudes of men around her mm-hmm. um and the way in which they treat her and there's also quite a lot in there about why she acts the way she does um and how it's linked to her childhood which was quite troubled and to an extent the pressures of family and and the um the pressures of tradition as well the tradition of family yeah yeah yeah. certain families yeah and not Um, recognizing mental health is like a thing yeah the the acceptance of uh not only your own realization that you are having mental mental health issues but then getting family to accept that um is, is a key theme as well so there are quite a few different characters in this book, um, male and female. I don't think she has any non-binary or gender-fluid uh, friends or characters that she interacts with. Specified. Who, oh, so, that is specified, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, so who did you enjoy most? Who was your favourite character? I My favourite character, and I thought a lot about this whilst I was reading, was um, her friend Cheska. Uh, not Francesca, her friend Cheska. I want to make that really clear. Um, which I believe, you know, we we I, she spells out how she pronounce her name in the book for this exact reason, I think. Um, I loved her. And it wasn't because, like, I think that she is meant to be a lighter and happier and, like, humorous character. But that wasn't, it wasn't that for me that made me, like as much it was just something about she felt like a really truly good friend and also an individual character on her of her own right like so often in in books like this you get a friend character who is just a friend and so it was kind of like if you think of things like like rom-coms like the best friend character and I didn't feel like any of the um, Queenie refers to her close friends as the Corgis because they are the Queen loves her Corgis, and I didn't feel like any of the Corgis were um, one note characters. And that was one of the elements that I really enjoyed about the WhatsApp group was that it felt like a real WhatsApp group. 
but in particular and I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it is because it's been a couple of days since I finished reading it but um there was a lot of intrinsic support intrinsic just like showing up and um non language based communication between Cheska and and Queenie and Cheska and other people and in particular one of the areas that I enjoyed quite a lot was um in the group chats between Darcy che- Darcy Cheska and Cassandra. Cassandra whenever Cheska would be like she would use slang in a way that she just assumed people know what she was talking about and she was just completely unapologetic and she did exactly what I think that um, all women and all people should be able to do, which should be exist in the space and be unapologetic about it. And I also particularly enjoyed the moment where she punched uh, Tweed glasses. Yeah, yeah I think um, I think Cheska was there for. Uh, yeah, I like Cheska as well, and she did have a lot of comedy moments. Um, I think there were quite a few characters that gave some comedy moments. Um, for me, my favourite character was male, and I'm sorry about that, but it was the granddad. Oh, I just, I, I just, I, I really enjoyed the grandparents as a duo. I think it, as much as you know, they were so grounded, even down to like the way that it was written, that it was phonetic, that you know, you you imagined their Jamaican accent. Um, but like just that kind of dynamic of you move in your bed and the grandmother's like, you're up. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my God. And like, or like I, you just I, whisper I mean, something I, and they were like, I can hear you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just think that like in the last couple of pages, I think there's like this dynamic where Queenie gets up and she doesn't want to wake the granddad and he says a comment, but, um, and I'll talk about it later in favorite quotes, but there was that moment when her grandmother was saying, absolutely not, you will not go to therapy, you will not bring shame on this household, which, you know, I don't know about you guys, which was quite shocking for me, because like, I just ha- haven't grown up in a family that doesn't understand mental health or, or or sees it as a an insult to the family name. But just his comment where he was just kind of a silent character that was always there. And then just that comment where he said something about let her go, maybe the youth can, you know, maybe if we all had, I can't remember the exact quote, but maybe if we all had therapy, we'd be better people and maybe the youth can be the, you know, the the thing that saves us all or whatever the comment mm-hmm. is. And I just, I just really enjoyed him as a person. I, I wanted to meet that guy. And I think he, he was a nice support in that moment where she was kind of drowning in a lot of stuff. Um, I also really enjoyed Silent Jean. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Silent Jean's email at the end of it. Fucking life. I was like, yes, Silent Jean. And I, you know, I don't think I have a Silent Jean in my office, but I think we all kind of know that person that's just like, that person that has worked there forever. And you're just like, how have you all, you've become part of the furniture. How have you always worked for this one organization? And and you kind of paint a picture of who they are in your head, but yet you have no idea who they really are. And you have no right to actually make that assumption. And so when she sends that email, I'm like, yes, she's a good person. She's just yeah. been there so long that she's just kind of, people assume who she is. 
and you so know yeah silent gene either goes to a fight club on the weekends or a dungeon one of the two i, I really hope so what about you sam have you got any faves yeah so favorite characters i agree i like there were points at which i really liked the grandmother and then when the mental health thing happened i was like no uh, you have slipped down my list. And then there were points at which I really liked Cassandra, as in the first few times you meet her when she's like just really blunt. Yeah. I thought she was gonna I thought she was gonna be a lot more fun than she actually ended up being. So I don't think there was anybody that I enjoyed the whole way through. There were people that yeah. I liked in, in different moments, but there was no one that I was like, this person is great all the way through. Maybe even yeah, like even Queenie. Like Queenie, there were points there are... where I was like, you were being a selfish dick. Queenie, like, obviously she went through a lot and I'm not saying, oh my God, having this way of dealing with things is so selfish. That's not what I meant. I just want to clarify that. What I meant, the thing that got me as selfish was the creating the group chat of all her friends for the pure focus of supporting her um, yeah. and calling it... Her. And the Corgis thing, yes, it was funny, but it was also very much like, you are mine and you exist to serve this function. And that fucked me off. Um, and Cassandra says that as well, doesn't she? Doesn't she say yeah. like, "I can't just exist to to be your to serve you or whatever." To she solve said. your problems or to be That's your it. sounding board. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was the point at which she irritated me because the rest of it, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I can understand the self destructive stuff. We've all been there. But yeah, the rest of the characters just all had highs and lows. A lot of them were just lows. mainly mainly the men yeah mainly the men and I think that's I think that's what's so stand out about the grandfather Alex and the point that you mentioned is that I feel like this book vaguely conditions you to to fucking hate them hate like you know like it, Mm. it doesn't exactly lend itself to good feelings about men even though obviously the point is that there are mixed feelings with all people but that is the moment where you think the person that is going to be the stodgiest, hardest, most closed-minded, most crappy feeling that everyone else is making you feel like that's what he's going to be like is actually the person that opens the door, essentially, to to healing. And I think that that's like, that is a really poignant moment. And um, in contrast to the people that you are kind of set up to feel are positive like sam you mentioned the bridget jones thing earlier and and that comparison your bridget jones comparison is not unfounded there like i think that is that is you are supposed to feel early on in the book that there is a happy ending here that is about a man and that's not the case and you are set up to continually question why you think that her happy ending should involve a man yeah, it definitely did a good job of subverting some of those. And I used the term chicklet earlier, but some of those tropes, which are oh. the chicklet genre has been very much dominated by white woman works in publishing in a not very good job with a quite a shit boyfriend, has this journey and epiphany, ends up with a millionaire who owns a Scottish castle or whatever by the end of it. Um, and this set did set you up to be like, oh, it's going to be one of those... And then it wasn't. Mm. I mean, as soon as as soon yeah, as it hit yeah. you with bam, you had a miscarriage. That was like, oh, <laughs> that was really tough. 
it was set up that you think a man is going to solve her problems and every time a new man came in that you thought had some kind of redeeming factor or 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 is set up to be a nice person as opposed to the addy character or guy you think a part of me was like oh no I really hope that it doesn't end with her having a happy ending with a man and the, that's yeah, the reason. Me too. Um, and I'm so pleased it wasn't so the author you know Candice I'm going to be on first name terms with her um, <laughs> Carty Williams <laughs> definitely um I think maybe you're right maybe she did set it up to do with that whole publishing thing and because that is such the trope that we usually see yeah. okay so we're going to pause there have a break Maybe have a wee, but before we do that, we've got to check in with the wine. So how is everyone finding their creamy slash Sue Daniels business? Mine is fine. I've still got, well, I've got half a bottle left. It's okay. Nothing to write home about. Um, Won't be buying it again, but I am drinking it. And I feel like that is just me, default wine drinker. Because it's there, I drink. Kim! Um, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's red that would be good to be shared with people because then you only get a glass each. It's not red that you should drink a bottle of to yourself on a Tuesday night. It's, I've still got over half a bottle left, so we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> and Kim, how is your <laughs> tangled root? Um, yeah, it's really good. Uh, tangled root? It's not like a stand, oh, tangled knot. Um, it's not like a standout butter on the tongue. I would automatically give this as a gift and drink this forever, and I want this at every special occasion wine. But it is probably a contender for rotation of casual drinking slash dinner party wine. Um, and yeah, it's it's pretty freaking tasty. Good job, Sue Daniels. I knew you wouldn't fail me. And we will be back after the break to talk some more about creamy. So one thing we kind of spoke about at the start of the show is this whole thing that we're trying to learn, we're trying to seek out more literature, programs, everything from um, points of view that aren't necessarily our own as uh, thirty, like late 20s, early 30-year-old white cis women. Are you questioning the late 20s? <laughs> I was like, no one here is in their late 20s. That's very kind of us in that bracket so kind of you Alex I like to put us in that bracket (laughs) as women in the 24 to 35 age bracket um I think it's important for us to really talk about and question what we learned from this book from the point of view of someone who is in the same age bracket as we are but a completely different upbringing completely different point of view so what have we learned I've learned that um You'll adjust the age bracket to make us seem younger. <laughs> hey, I got ID'd for this Viognier, guys. They got cost um, £8.50. I mean, I was buying well raspberries done. and Viognier. I'm not going to be fucking 17, am I? <laughs> this book re- made me re-examine a lot of my perspectives. It really made me think about gentrification, particularly as something that I have done and been a part of, actively been a part of, among the other things that I'm actively a part of. Um, but I'll leave, I'll leave the floor to you guys. Have, what did you feel, learn, re-examine because of this book? Alex, you used a phrase before 
who started the show. What was it? Was it not you that said we are learning twats? Or was it Kim? Learning twats. Oh, yeah, no, no, it was it was Alex me. Kim. Sorry, because I wrote it on a piece of paper. <laughs> I think it's because I thought I was assuming it was something really intellectual, but it wasn't. It was just <laughs> learning twats. <laughs> we are twats by like learning, not that we're learning about twats. Just... Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I feel like I know enough at the moment about twats, but we are learning twats as individuals. <laughs> I don't know if it's something where I can pinpoint a specific moral lesson or something from within the story itself it definitely reinforced this idea of just because we are all women doesn't mean we all have the same experience Mm. um and this kind of particularly with the interactions with men every woman who's ever been on a dating site will know there's a lot of men out there who are for want of a better word scumbags hashtag (laughs) not all men but a lot of them are and you particularly find them on dating sites and um seeing the way that queenie was spoken to is it felt too close to the bone to be a fictionalized thing this is something that i felt like the author has actually experienced Mm -hmm. and kind of learning new ways in which men can make us feel bad about ourselves was uh was kind of eye-opening for me because i know there's i know there's this kind of subculture of men sexualizing black women in a different way to white women um also i should say white men actually no i think it's not uh, just white men. it's not just white men i think it is a uh it's something that happens across multiple races the the treatment of white women and black women differently mm-hmm. um as a sexual object so it wasn't necessarily a the more you know moment but it was more of a hammering home of oh shit this is something we've never had to face. It yeah. was an elaboration on something that we kind of know but don't know because we've not yeah. experienced it. It was the kind of thing like you read about it, you maybe hear about it, you've heard it been talked about, but you've actually never had it spelled out for you um, because you haven't lived it. And this did spell out for you because you haven't lived it. I agree with you, Sam, that that was, that was a really eye-opening moment because for all the dating apps are a horrible experience for everyone that's a completely different experience than than i you know that i experienced it's it's the shock element without actually being surprising i i think i definitely obviously picked up on the fetishize fetish fetishization fetishization and i obviously recognized that within the book and thought gosh I've never like I've never ever had to deal with that um I've been in a long-term like long-term relationships for as far as I can remember so I've never been on dating sites anyway so I haven't really experienced these horrible messages and dick pics and all those kind of cliches that come from dating sites let alone uh this awful fetishization uh that the like queenie has to endure um so that was definitely something i recognized that isn't evident in my own life um i think also it's worth pointing out that she does work for this newspaper and she does time and time again take these stories to gina her i think it's like chief editor i'm not really sure what her job role is and Maybe they aren't that thought out. I'm not really sure because obviously she's in a moment in her life where she's not really being able to uh, correlate her thoughts or, or put them out in like a succinct way that she can pitch. But 
the thinking behind it is still very relevant and real, especially as we're living in 2020. And this book was published, I think, in 2020 as well. So it's very raw and now. 2019. 2019, yeah. Okay, so it's, it's very raw and now. But there was a, and I haven't been able to find the actual quote, but there was a comment that Gina said that was something about making it a bit more palatable. Um, palatable. That was the word. And I've read it, that word a lot. And it in, really angers context. me. Yeah, it really angers me that this is obviously like something that happens all the time. I haven't had to experience that. And it angered me that pal- racism and human rights and bra- black lives was described as palatable to an audience. Mm. You need you to, make to make it, it palatable. Yeah. yeah. Palatable in journalism is relatable in films and it's all bullshit and it it's righteously enraging it's not even just um relatable it's not it's taking something that is is sad or um actually frankly disgusting in a lot of cases and making it so that white audiences don't feel bad yes rather than just making it which relatable. is such bullshit like you should yeah. be feeling bad and I take I take to work in an organisation where I feel like I was on the step ladder to make my voice heard and make the message that I really, really fucking care about quite clear and out there and be told that what I care about so much that is in my veins and everything is not palatable. Mm. And so I learned that actually... I'm very privileged for many reasons, but I'm very privileged that my voice is often heard in in a in a way that some people's aren't. For something that is so right to care about, and that upsets me. Here, here. The bit that got me was yes, great point. But it was the bit where um, she walked into the kitchen um, to talk to Darcy this queenie walton and she was like another, another black person has been shot in america yes and Darcy's yes. reaction was oh no what did they do yes because sorry, i what yeah that was a really standout moment for me that part's really really stayed with yeah. me and that conversation felt very relatable because it felt like something that we have either witnessed or experienced or been a part of and that was kind of the point of the question which is a very difficult thing to acknowledge but that's kind of the point and this book is full of things that are difficult to acknowledge, but that's the point. So on that rather sombre note, let's talk a bit more about aspects of the book that we um, found particularly poignant or particularly enjoyable or particularly um, funny. And that is our kind of favourite quotes and favourite moments from the book. Does anyone have any that they'd like to kick off with? So my quote is not a very funny quote, and I'm annoyed at myself for not finding the funnier quotes but I think that's because I was reading it enjoying it and just kind of you know it was a light read to a certain extent but then um I got to this page which is way towards the end which is 200 page 289 um Mm -hmm. and it's it's when she's finally opening up to her therapist and I think the writer and Queenie obviously, because it's the character, beautifully articulates how she's feeling. And Mm. 
I'm not going to like 100% pretend that's how I've felt or do feel or whatever. But I think she articulates something that is sometimes non-articulatable in such a beautiful way. Mm. Um, So it is a large quote. It's almost a whole page, but I will read it. Um, And it basically says... Um, uh, okay, well, yeah, I feel tired a lot, like exhausted. I feel like I'm always trying to concentrate on being normal again. And I don't really sleep that well. I feel worried, like something really bad is about to happen, but I can't pinpoint what. And then I feel even more worried because I can't work out why I feel the way I do. I feel frightened, like properly scared, especially at night. I have these nightmares, this sleep paralysis. I end up physically fighting everyone I share a bed with, um, with my sleep, which is not cool. I sleep to catch up with myself. I feel nervous about really small things that I used to be able to do without even thinking about them, like going to the shop or eating. And I used to really like eating. I don't feel sick, but my stomach is always flipping over and over. When I get really upset sometimes, it feels like my stomach is like closed off. So I don't have an appetite is what I'm trying to say. Sometimes I feel frantic and I feel like everything just spun out of control, out of my hands. I don't know, like I feel a bit like for a while I've been carrying 10 balls of wool and one ball fell. So I dropped another to catch it, but still didn't catch it. And then two more started to unravel. And then trying to save those, I lost another one. Do you know what I mean? Sorry. And I, I just, I think that articulates so much about what I have felt in the past so beautifully and so much in terms, like, in terms that I would never be able to use. And, yeah, so that was my favourite quote. And I know it's not a funny quote and I know it's probably a down quote, but I think it's beautifully put that we can all relate to. Things don't have yeah. to be funny to be respected. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with you and I remember reading that page and finding it really really difficult so I I completely agree with you that it's a uh, it's a really powerful moment in the book I think Um, it really encapsulates the way that women talk about their problems and lessen those problems and the myriad of things that you and the way that you talk about it where you you rush it all out in one paragraph and um Thanks for reading that out because I think that was really important. Mine was nowhere near as uh, as poignant, um, which was just the <laughs> the bit where she's. I think she goes for breakfast or lunch or something with uh, Cassandra, um, and Cassandra lends her some money. And um, Cassandra, I, I don't have the <laughs> I don't have the quote bookmarked, <laughs> but it was basically Cassandra going, "Why don't you use some of your other money?" And then Queenie being like, "Yeah, what are the money?" <laughs> What do you mean? Your savings, your either. <laughs> Don't be absurd. Yeah, it's like, not fuck off. Not just assume Ooh, everyone has money. Other money. Yeah, because we've. I think we've all been in that in that position where we're just like, what do you mean? What do you mean you have money and then you have extra money? Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> Kim, what was mm. yours? I had a couple of quotes. Um, I have I have three, and that for all kind of different reasons. The first was um when she meets with her therapist for the first time 
and she's going on and on and on about this this woman and this and she refers to her as the therapist this woman the doctor and then there is a line which is the doctor the queen the line is queenie none of that is silly as none of this is silly at all janet said smiling and it was the first time she called her janet and i really noticed Mm. it because she it suddenly it literally shifted from this very impersonal i'm not that interested in it to this is a person and i felt that that was a really important moment and i it felt that it was quite significant and i really enjoyed that writing technique like this was it was less about any kind of character development and specifically about the language that was used to indicate that this was a shift in a narrative which went from the therapist to janet and then it describes her she was plump and small had a kind face puckered with dimples and slightly tanned skin and i was like oh oh i see i see what you've done there but it was all indicated by that word janet it's the uh, show don't tell thing isn't it yeah exactly and i really enjoyed that like i just thought that that was like it i felt it i felt it in my heart and it, that was really powerful and then there's two other quotes that i have which is um one is one is particularly oblique uh, is this what growing into an adult woman is having to predict and accordingly arrange for the avoidance of sexual harassment? Yep. The answer is yes. Yep. Um, oh, it's growing into an adult woman. Yeah. That's just being a woman from yeah, any that's age. the man that was showing her around the house, wasn't it? It was gross. Yeah, that made me really angry. And I thought about, you know, the experiences that I've not too far along gone through with, with, visiting houses and selling things and texting you guys to be like I've got this person coming around to my flat to pick up a chair just in case he murders me this is what's happened I've found them on Gumtree this is their number um but we have to do that as women yeah which I do fair poor Sam is mostly the uh is the receiver of those messages Sam and my sister tend to be the people that I text when I'm like I'm gonna get murdered bye um it's good to know i am your murder prevention squad you are my (laughs) murder prevention squad but yeah so like those that's one of those things where it's like that felt universal and also kind of like i think sam that you just expressed like i was surprised it took her that long to figure that out because i've been feeling like that since i was 14 yeah it almost felt like this was orchestrated. Her naivety was orchestrated so that she, they could have that quote, so that they could make that point. And the final quote that I highlighted was, um, people should see it, we're different, and they need to accept our difference. And that was important. It goes back to everything that I've said about gentrification, everything that I've said about what this book showed me in a way that the, the point of trying to be a better ally trying to be more actively anti-racist and the importance of recognizing that i'm white and fuck as i have a lot of privilege and that um being anti-racist is is an active movement and everything like that and i just thought that that that's quite a important line it's um, white liberalism made easy when you're like, I don't see it, therefore I'm I not don't see uh, it. It's basically saying I don't have the, uh, I can't engage with this discussion because I don't know how or I don't feel confident enough or I don't whatever. So I'm 
just going to whitewash this conversation. Yeah, if I neutralise you, then I don't have to engage with the fact that you have different opinions than I do, which is so not the fucking point. So some important, insightful... uh, It's interesting that we all chose um, quotes that either resonated or made us think rather than choosing ones that made us laugh, because this is also a funny book. We've talked quite a lot about um, some of the more thought-provoking points, some of the kind of, actually at times fairly sad and depressing points because Mm. of the things it makes you think about and the the way the main character is not only treated but also treats herself um so it's a really good balance of sad and humorous so that brings us to the end of the episode this week but before we go we have a book to rate and we also have some wines so let's kick off with wine alex uh you holding that up as if you were ready to go with your rating so what did you think of your Viognier? I mean, I was ready to go because I was pouring the last little drop into my glass. Um, right. Because I've only got, I've probably got uh, a, a one two five glass left. Um, I'm going to give it a 2.5 grapes. Smack bang in the middle of the road. Yeah, because it's nice. It's fine. It costs £8.50. I would buy this if I was going to a... Kim had told me she's doing vegan fondue. And I go, oh, that's lovely. I'll bring this Viognier because it matches creamy dishes. Um, And that is about it. I'm not going to buy it if I'm (laughs) staying in on a night in during (laughs) lockdown. That is about it. Alex, I know your vegan fondue is 2.5 stars, Kim. (laughs) No, I was saying the wine is 2.5, not the, like, vegan fondue. That felt like a hint that I should be doing some kind of vegan fondue. And I'm here to tell you that when I have a kitchen, we'll have a fondue, vegan or otherwise. I think fondue is about the worst kind of dinner party you can have during a pandemic. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that is true. Shared cheese. Shared cheese is the worst. Well, when you do that, I will bring this Viognier. We will have one glass each. We will not drink one (laughs) bottle between one person and we will enjoy it. But yeah, like middle of the ground, middle of the road. Sam, how about your heartburn inducing primitive? Primitivo. Um, Primitivo, so just... not Primitivo. Don't know where I got that from. Always oh, adding an extra syllable. <laughs> so I've just poured the remainder of my bottle into my glass. For re- for the record, I'm holding my glass up to show you how much that actually Ooh. was. Me um, too, me too. Look. Because mama didn't raise no quitter and I need to finish my bottle before I go to bed. Um, so it yeah, the fact it's taken me this long and I'm still... I still have two thirds of a full glass of wine to go. It means it's not the one for me. Compared to the reds I've had on the show recently, the Wax Bat and the, um, I was about to call it the Il Devo. It's not the Il Devo. It's the uh, Rex Mundi. Not even slightly the same. This is not as good, but it's okay. So I'm going to go with a two. Yeah, I won't buy it again. Two. It's fine. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. I might change mine to a two, actually. I mean, really? Mine might be a two, two. Ah. Two, two. A two, two. 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 My Sue Daniels tangled knot 
Zinfandel off of California 2019 was great. Um, and by great, I mean that it was perfectly easy drinking and definitely mostly average and absolutely fine. It wasn't a blow your socks off rich fruity red. It wasn't butter on the side of my mouth. I wouldn't jump to bring this as a gift, but I would buy it, add it into my rotation. So I'm going to give it a good solid three. Um, Sue did not let me down. I'm very pleased with it. Good old reliable Sue. So Sue brings you back into the game. Good old three, Sue. Good three, old a two, Sue. and a two. Nice middle-of-the-road wines. And what about the book, which is, once again, if you haven't picked up over the course of the last 50-odd minutes, um, Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams. What would we give that out of our grapes? Out of five. Five grapes, five of them on a bunch. Um, I, I really enjoyed Queenie. I was really pleased that we finally got to it. Um, I'd like to say thank you again to Alex for uh, pitching this. I gave it four, four grapes. Um, My reasoning behind that is that while I did really enjoy it, there were elements that I felt were unfinished. There were elements that um, just, just generally made me uncomfortable. And that's not necessarily a knock on the book itself. It's more a knock, you know, it's my personal relationship with the book itself um, made me really critically rethink quite a lot of my um, behaviours and thought it was beautifully written and a perfect mix of funny and subversive and heart-wrenching and thought-provoking. So, yeah, full grapes, please. <laughs> How about I'm you guys? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I'm... Um, yeah, I think I'll agree with four star... Four grapes, sorry on brand i think i read it very very quickly for this podcast because we had to um and i think it was a good modern representation of how young adults feel in the modern world um plus more than i can ever anticipate so yeah, I enjoyed it. It opened my eyes. It made me think it was relatable. So for all those reasons, I'm going to give it a four. Lovely. Well, I'm going to complete the set and go with a four as well. Um, because for all the reasons you guys have said, it was a good blend between um, entertaining and uh, thought-provoking. It was um, subversive. Uh, so I think we've said and I think it did more than what it said on the tin this is a novel that went beyond what I was expecting yeah. about, I think. Um, so yeah for that reason four grapes yeah that's a really good point yeah I agree Great. happy days I love it when we do a, a book that we all really agree on it makes me so I love happy. it when we agree <laughs> yeah friends oh book friends uh, <laughs> So don't forget, we're going to be back with a new Grape Culture in two weeks' time. But in the meantime, if you've been listening on an Apple device, don't forget to give us a rating out of five. Unfortunately, Apple only use stars and not grapes, which is an oversight in their part. Um, or leave us a review because we'd love to know what you think. You can also check us out on social media. We're at Grape Culture Podcast on Instagram, at Grape Culture Pod on Twitter. Or you can go to our website to check out our show notes and more, which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. Come back in two weeks. We're going to have a new episode and we will see you then. Bye.
Bye. Bye. Bye.